Welcome to the Two Hip Podcast. Today's guest is an old friend from Syracuse and a person who, uh, after Syracuse, moved into the Philadelphia area where I ended up finding myself um, shortly after school and has been involved in numerous organizations. Uh, I could list them all, um, but I'd probably still be missing you know, dozens uh, of things that she's involved with. Primarily, she works for Habitat for Humanity and has also been involved with the ACE organization and Philanoma, which is the um, national organization of minority architects, the Philadelphia chapter. Um, And she has a lot of other cool things that I want to dive into. We'll get into more details. So without further ado, Ty Wynn. Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I... I want to give you a chance to explain yourself. So go ahead and and maybe fill in the gaps or or correct things that maybe I said wrong. Go for it. Explain yourself. The hostile segment where you explain you like you're on trial. Sure. Uh, It's a big question. Like, who am I? Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm a Chicagoan. I went to architecture school, but I don't quite consider myself an architect. Um, I guess I would consider myself an urbanist um, or an urban designer more so. Um, I got my bachelor's of architecture from Syracuse University. I got a master's of architecture with a concentration in urban design from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, That's what got me to Philadelphia. Uh, But since I graduated with my master's, I have been working in um, community development and real estate more so with a specialization in affordable housing. Yes. Awesome. And so on that note, I think a big thing to talk about um, uh, that I really want to get into is part of your affordable housing research uh, led you into a really cool scholarship uh, grant, I guess, not more than a scholarship um, I want to talk about. But before we get into that, I always also like to throw people off right at the beginning with um, the segment, the two hypocrisy. Two hypocrisy, like the recapture for authenticity. Meant to be easy on humans, hard on hipster bots. It would be a few jobs back. I was working um, in the public sector still, but at a much more bureaucratic uh, agency. I won't (laughs) name names. Um, And it's an agency where, ironically, a large portion of the capital project staff uh, was minority. So it was like the first time I had been in an office with other designers and planners and engineers and architects where like honestly there was probably more women and ethnic minorities uh than not right so you felt represented i felt represented absolutely it was great uh my boss was a licensed black architect who knew right Mm -hmm. (laughs) that ever happened first time i'd ever been around one on a daily basis (laughs) so that was great uh we were mostly serving minority low-income individuals so like it was kind of like checking what should have been all the boxes on paper right um But then I also, I felt like there were many times um, during that job that I was kind of confronting myself and I felt hypocritical to myself as like a creative and a designer, Mm. just Mm -hmm. because so many of the moves and the decisions that were made were guided by some regulation and like, they wasn't really particularly interesting buildings. I don't think it was necessarily uh, really pushing for a high quality of life or high sustainability. I think it's times like that where you're practicing and you know you're on paper doing what you're supposed to be doing as 
getting all of my architectural hours and checking right. off all the boxes. And I was like, nothing I actually believed in that I had learned about and like kind of fostered throughout my education was actually being put to use. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, is this like really like the place with all this money to spend on all these projects? Like this is what we're building. Not that it was bad. Yeah. It just wasn't it's like excellent. It can be thought through a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think realizing like the moment between a decent building and a great or wonderful building, there's like not that many divisions of <laughs> distance between them. <laughs> right. Right. And like just small moves can make a really, really, really big deal, mm -hmm. um, especially to the end user, especially from like an aesthetic point of view. Um, and realizing like that's actually what we went to architecture school to do right. like that that moment like that's the moment and they're not always big moves um, I mean similarly at Habitat now we were just working on a redesign of a row house you know there's only so many ways you can lay out a row <laughs> right, house yes it's 15 feet wide it's 45 <laughs> feet deep yep there's three spaces on the first floor right um, and just like simple moves repositioning a, a closet mm -hmm. opens up a wall and now there's two places that right. a family Stuff. can put a bed yeah and like that seems small to us on paper because it doesn't change much about how you're drawing it but it's so big and monumental for that family right when it gives them the option yeah yeah i think they don't they don't like uh I, i've talked to people all the time I've, I've walked in houses when i'm like looking for apartments and I, i've gone in and been like they just didn't think about this like if they had taken yeah. just an extra minute yeah. To be like this, if we just put it here, it would make so much more sense. It would open these things up. And yeah, and especially with like public housing, I feel like it's just so often just cookie cutter. It's like people like at, at the lowest part of the totem pole in the design um, at whatever place is doing that particular project. And so you just end up getting like these things that are just boxes with like just very boxes. little thought. So it's nice that you're like you're trying to put thought into public housing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And the other thing is, I think so many people throughout the steps are trying to put thought into it. Right. And it's just like the regulations, the bureaucratic red tape. And then they're like, oh, wait, we can't get that money. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Sometimes like the simplest path forward actually just becomes the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And people are just tired of fighting from right. the inside. So they're like, you know what? Stick with the box. Because like no one can argue against the box. It's so, kind of like when you do like a really bland dinner because you don't want to offend anybody. You're right. Like, oh, it ends up being like not interesting at all, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like too neutral. Like you got to you got to stand your ground. You can appeal to people, but like you, at some point you just have to stand your ground and be like, I still have to do what's right in my mind right. so that it, like it may be a little bit more unique. It might might rub somebody the wrong way. Exactly. But at the end of the day, it, it is making a statement that I think I agree with and I can stand by it. I or I can disagree with it, and it's something to talk about. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like when using a food analogy, like there's bland food that like everybody eats it, nobody enjoys it. Right. Like I'd rather either you throw all the spices and I love it, or it's too spicy and I don't really like it, but yeah. I can think about it, or it just tastes different. And I'm like, oh, I would have put these flavors together. Right. It like challenges it, it. At least there's something to, to to discuss. Yeah. So was this was this like the point where you transitioned? Where you applied for the this um, Stewards Stewardson Keith LeBrun travel grant was that like around that time where you were just being frustrated and felt like public housing was just being ignored? Absolutely. I mean, that was definitely a thing that kind of stuck out in my head. One, I feel like just at work, I had been reading up on public housing. When you work in, you know, with public housing, it's just an interesting 
conundrum because I don't think it's the most interesting architecturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you start to understand about equity and about how people live and about preserving affordability, it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's absolutely necessary. And I think so many of the debates about it, especially in this country, are around how it failed. Like right. we start Instead every like conversation. Trying to have a solution. Yeah. Right. We start every conversation like this is how it failed. And you're like, did it fail? Because one, we're still funding it. Billions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. We're still funding it. We're still building it. Right. We're still operating it. Um, so you still have this like functioning living cycle that's happening. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and it needs to be considered like it's still operational. We still need to care about the people that are in this in the public housing and, and trying to create opportunities for the future, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like privatization is not the way to go because the only way you can truly actually preserve affordability mm-hmm. is through public housing. That's the only mechanism that we have that's fail safe that right. can, like, can continuously can... lock something in. Yeah, you don't have some asshole developer like trying to constantly raise the rent, like, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, and it can kind of set its own market. It can it can ignore the market what the market's already doing right so so when you did this uh the travel grant by the way um allows people uh who are in you know architecture urban design sort of fields um to uh travel i guess it's in the name right um to travel to do research on a specific topic and you pitched the idea of of sort of um getting more interesting public housing ideas and and trying to find examples of better solutions i guess was that Mm -hmm. the, the the that's a good summary that's a good concept (laughs) so yeah the grant is for so the only requirements for the grant are that you uh have a b arc Mm -hmm. and you are not in a position where you have to travel for work so you can't use it if you're a teacher and you have to publish or if you have to go do something in the regular course of business for your job the idea of it is that um when we get into the field as architects that we stop observing buildings mm-hmm. you know we're doing and we we kind of lose touch with uh, the precedents and like the things that inspire us right or you stay in a bubble where it's like the same type of building exactly yeah, all the time yeah so i had pitched to go look at international examples of public or social housing but specifically in com- in countries that had copied the Western or the American public housing model, mm-hmm. but in studies were being were finding that the inhabitants were scoring it um, really high. Okay, yeah. For like user satisfaction. So, can you give some examples of like what the what some of those places were? Sure. So, I visited. Um, okay, this is a long list. <laughs> Hong Kong. Right. Uh, Singapore. Paris, Madrid, Vienna. Mm. Lagos, Nigeria, Slovenia, and Monterey, Mexico. Wow. <laughs> but that was over the course of a year, like on and yeah, off. Yeah, I did it over, it was a year and a half. Um, but yeah, and I would go for, like, I kind of segmented by country. Okay. So I did, like, three weeks in Asia, and then I did, like, a month in Europe. I did uh, two and a half weeks in Africa, and yeah. I did a week in Mexico. That's awesome. I'm I'm super jealous of that, <laughs> and uh, like to anyone interested in this, it's a it's a great opportunity. I it's think. a great opportunity. Yeah, and there, there's only so many, especially for architecture. I, I feel like there are it's harder to get money yes. than like a science degree, where Absolutely. like they're just constantly throwing yeah. money at you. Um, and just to be able to do that, and I agree completely. Like I've, I've said for years, 
I have learned way more in all the travel experiences I've had like throughout the world versus like all the time I feel like I had in school. And not to not to belittle my school experience, Syracuse was obviously a great school and a good experience overall. But there's something about like you learn about it in school all the time yeah. and you get it to a degree, but then you get there and you're like, oh, like something just clicks. Like yeah. I can feel it. I'm in the space. I understand what the message was. I understand the feeling they got when they were here and like what triggered that idea. Um, and then to see something like this where it's as specific as public housing and like, see it being successful um it's got to be really fascinating especially when it's like like what models did they use specifically I, i'm just curious is it like shandigar like like corb kind of stuff or is it something uh, else it, you know it varied by country really mm -hmm. so i would say um so asia looked a lot like new york city high rises everything okay. was super dense you're talking like 20 30 story high-rise buildings mm -hmm solid concrete or brick right um i'm assuming they all had metal structure because they were so tall <laughs> right you know the, the repetitive windows it was definitely kind of from that like meebs corb like that inspiration yeah inspired yeah inspired um i would say the interesting thing in asia um was that i think they had a really strong commitment to our idea of placemaking mm -hmm. um <clears throat> In Hong Kong, our, almost every public housing site was heavily connected by transit. Um, yeah, that's a huge help. Heavily. There was a lot of public-private partnerships. So you saw a lot of instances where there was like maybe a bus depot or right. a structured parking garage that was like on the ground level where, or a mall. Yeah, where something would, to like be a, be a sort of, what's the word, like a beacon. And, and like a plinth almost. Right. And then there would be like a green roof over that and then the building would kind of shoot up from this green roof. So when you got up there, you kind of felt completely disconnected from the rest of the city, hmm. um, which was nice because in Hong Kong, it was really dense. It was really great. There was not a lot of open space in the right. city itself. Um, so you kind of had these like little oases. You would get up there, there'd be trees, there'd be grass. You had lots of outdoor seating areas. Um, and it was just interesting to me because I feel like the way we think about developments in the united states we typically leave off a lot of the amenities mm -hmm. um and that was really a big deal in china um but then one thing that was common across all the countries were like universal indicators of poverty didn't right. change like yeah. poverty looks the same in everywhere you places. go yeah yeah it still, has, it still has like the same same look same, same feel yeah. yeah lots of social services large mcdonald's very close by or other cheap food right probably you know. like a liquor store somewhere <laughs> nearby right like cigarettes Far, that like kind i of mean stuff. you're talking you're an hour out on public transportation right. it's never like super close it's never by. super close by yeah so like how do you combat that like were there were there any examples where it was like so you said that's pretty much universal there, there yeah. wasn't an example where they were trying to be like in the mix and be like public housing right here in the center of the city there were a few um there were a few in paris and it's still not really clear because in Paris, it's more social housing and I think they had a higher income bracket. So you saw a lot of like lower to like actual middle class families. Yeah. Or sometimes it'll be like mixed. Like it'll be like, It'd be mixed. like ranges right. and stuff. Yeah. Tiers. But typically most of the developments I saw in Paris were very heavily focused on families. Okay. Um, and so there were some that were in the city. Uh, city center is a stretch. Right. But like they were always close to a job center. So like there were a few by La Defense. Okay. Um, yeah. And that was kind of like a newer suburb. It kind of had like a suburban feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it's not like the rest of Paris there. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a few that were like right down this, like literally around the corner from like 
the Pompidou Center, mm-hmm. which to me felt like of the ones I went to, that one was probably the most centrally located. And the he- yeah, that's a heavy like tourist area. Heavy too. tourist like, area. Pretty, pretty nice looking area. It's yeah. pretty nice. Um, and that was one of the interesting ones because it's an older building, mm. and I think that might be one of the reasons it was able to be converted was because it was in the mix of like there was lots of new towers and everything was really okay. yeah. cool lift looking, and here's this like older kind of traditional Parisian architecture. That was being like used in a way that <laughs> yep. kind of made it integrate better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To kind of bring it back to authenticity, like, like this to me is like shining a light on like truth, <laughs> um, in a way, you know, like that, I feel like that's what this is. Like public housing is like the, it exists. It has the need because it, there's this, like, you can see the poverty, as you said, it's like, a, it's a visible thing in all these places you went to around the world. And that's the truth. And I think there are so many people that just, it sounds so straightforward, but it's just getting ignored all the time. And then when there's just this little step to say, oh, let's try and do public housing. It'll help all these people and give them a little bit of a leg up and give them a little bit of an opportunity to feel like they live with the rest of the society and they're not just being ignored. And then even those projects have to fight, fight, like fight. And I mean, I, I feel like the bad guy when I'm on a project where the, like, the developer, I'm just like, hey, they, they want public housing. It's easy. We can put it in design and the developers like, no, I'm not doing it. It's like, look, it's a good thing to do. Like we're like me and the partners in my office, we all agree. This isn't just me. Like we should do it. It's good for, not only is it just good, like um, for, for obviously for the world and for all these people, but like yeah. even from his perspective, like it's a PR thing. Like you should be the guy that comes in and says, Hey, I'm going to do this. And finally, I think he can see it on a couple of projects and it's like fighting every moment to get, get things like that to happen. For people, they see their bottom line and they just, for them, I mean, real estate, especially because it's such a it's a finicky field. Mm-hmm. I think they're all trying to get as much money as they can in the short window when the market is hot. Right. They're not necessarily looking to try to like. I mean, to them, they see it as a loss. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because that was part of what I was trying to look at. My argument was that public housing should be considered a public good. Like, right. its creation is a public good, and it should be beautiful because the rest of us have to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. By having, though, that diversity and, like, having more people in, like, a more uh, interesting environment, like, different group of people, like, other things come out of that. But I think the biggest thing that was missing from a lot of these projects, as you pointed out, is the amenities. Like, even on the projects that are being designed um, for, like, like where it's, you know, two $3,000 for, like, these tiny little studios, like, even for those projects, the amenities are almost nothing. And yeah. it's absurd. I'm like, you're, you're cutting all these corners. You're going to be left with a building that at the end of the day, after the finishes are dated and no one wants to live in this neighborhood anymore for whatever reason, because, you know, real estate is very finicky, as you said, like that, that it's going to have even less meaning. And it's going to be yeah. the same thing as if it was public housing or if it was some other thing, like if it was just a box built for some other reason, like give it a little bit more character now, put in that extra work, like take the, the that little bit of a loss. But Again, because a lot of them are doing like short-term flips and just mm-hmm. trying to get out of it. They're, they're never concerned with that. And it's kind of one of the problems of like the way developments are set up. In yeah, it makes me worried, right? Because you think back in the day, people thought buildings were going to last forever, right? Mm-hmm. So you have all these buildings, like you look at Philadelphia now, they're 100 years old. Yeah. There are people living in homes that were built 109 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I look at the quality of the way things are being constructed and designed now. And I'm like, what is this going to look like in 100 years? Is it going to be right. here? Do yeah. people Are people still going to care? Like, what are the architectural features that will mark this era when, you know, 
200 years now, you know, our great, 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 great grandchildren are reading about us in their, in their history book. What, like, what is this period going to be called? Yeah. I don't know. Nothing. It's like, I'm, I'm just hoping I'm so frustrated with this point. Like, I'm just hoping the (laughs) next wave will be resolving it. Like there are more people coming out right out of school and I was teaching for a little bit. So like, I do feel like they are actually thinking with like a sustainable mindset too. Mm -hmm. And just like, Trying they to keep to. it like more long term, right? They don't they have think to. sustainable. Yeah, like the, wor- like the world someone, won't exist. Yeah, someone. I has mean, to do it. I was talking to a group. I I did a crit the other day, and I was telling the students. You know, they were talking about sustainability, in some project where the developer didn't do everything that they wanted that they thought he should do, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, because like. I'm not going to be here when the world ends. You are. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't let, I told them, I was like, don't let our generation kill you Mm -hmm. because we're leaving you. You're going to have to clean up this this mess. mess. (laughs) You're going to have to clean up this mess. We won't be here. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I wish, I wish there was like more things we could do. But as I said, it's such a slow pace from like people have these ideas and have had these sustainable ideas for generations Mm -hmm. not just even 30 years or 60 years literally like hundreds of years and yet it's like finally now getting to the point where people are publicly saying like i want to do make changes and even then you still have the money at the at the top with the developers that's just like nope it's it's too much money to do x y and z and the materials and all that kind of stuff is definitely getting more reasonable so yeah hopefully to me this is like goes hand in hand with what you're saying like public house like creating environments that are not only is the the literal building material sustainable, but the environment is sustainable. Exactly. Like where people can use it which in is, a lot of different which ways. Which is funny because when you think about it, like you think about the history of this country and everybody fled here because things weren't sustainable where they were. Mm-hmm. And then they just replicated what they did there here. Right. Yeah. They didn't like learn from that. No one like, learned from their mistakes. Yeah. Imperialist. We're basically <laughs> doing imperial things here. And yeah. yeah just, like this isn't going to work expanding like crazy and not yeah. not like thinking about it yeah but i think at the time like there's things now like that are behavioral like and ritualistic and how um, like americans do spaces and make cities mm-hmm. and like yeah when there was only like you know 10 settlements and there was a wide open country of course like you had air quality like who cared like you had air quality and there was you know things were manageable but like as you grow like where i hit we hit a point now where i'm like okay yeah we yeah. can't always do things the exact same way we've been doing them before. Yeah, so we just need to reevaluate that. So, so calibrate. <laughs> does this like? I'm trying to get back to authenticity, which sometimes is hard when certain topics are coming <laughs> up. But like, so just you personally, we've talked about the sort of uh, this as being truth, a representation of truth. Um, how do you, on your day to day, do you feel like you're finally in a place where, like, at your current job and in your point in your life? where you are being true to, to yourself and what, what your beliefs are. I, I feel like you've always been like that, but I'm just curious how, how you feel. I mean, I think I'm closer. I feel like I'm like, I don't know, 80% of the way there. <laughs> I don't know. I, to me, I don't know. I think in school, I don't know that I had an idea of what my job would be. I think I had an idea of the outcomes that I wanted to affect. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them are lofty goals, like, you know, you can't eradicate poverty by yourself, which right. I understand. Um, and I don't know that the company structure exists yet to do the things that I think I'm interested in doing. And right. I think it's interesting because 
architecture is so multidisciplinary in how we are educated. But then, and then I think the opportunities you have with the degree itself are like boundless. You can kind of go into, I mean, think mm-hmm. of all the things just between the two of us that we've been interested in right. that, you know, your, your education kind of could support or uh, help you kind of navigate. But then at the same time, when you come out as a practitioner, like there's still this idea that there's a capital A architect, right? right. It's the person <laughs> in the office and they're drawing a blueprint over. And like, that is what we all have kind of set in our mind. Like that's the example of what this profession is. And mm-hmm. I'm with it. I get it. I'm in all the professional organizations. I, I, I can <laughs> right. uphold the, the dream and ideology. But at the same time, you're like, is that what's going to get us? one step forward. Right. I mean, one thing that always bothered me, even back in college, was the idea that as an architect, I loved what I did, but like very quickly you realize like we don't control the project. You're getting paid. You're a service right. person. Yeah. You're only doing what the person is paying you to do. And like your one glimmer, like s- small moment of truth is when you can convince them to do something different right. or do something more. Yeah. Um, and that's really hard to do because most people are really hard to change. Especially, especially at that level, right? They're very right. stubborn. <laughs> especially when the client is complex and it's not a person. It's a company or a corporation right. or a multi-glomerate. It, it just gets harder and harder and harder. And so I often realize like we don't have control over a situation in a field where like we're very egotistical and like the whole process that we were taught is about controlling right the outcome yeah so like yeah that's that's definitely ego maniacal to be like it feel like you you have to be in control that I take it back that's my hypocrisy moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah like being an egomaniac but also like not wanting to be an egomaniac yeah Yeah. it's like a fight every day yeah um yeah I think. What, what I like about the way you've approached it, as you pointed out, though, is and it seems like being true to yourself is is like you always step back and said, well, what's what's the thing that I'm trying to achieve? What am I trying to affect rather than how do I get there? Because the how do you get there can be figured out. Yeah. Like, like you, you need that other goal. Like I, I was uh, I was just telling you I was involved in a competition recently and one of my teammates on, on this competition, um, it was a little frustrating in the moment. Cause I like, we all had kind of decided on a vision, but he kept kind of asking, he's like, but what is the user? What does the end user want? Like we, they told us, they gave us information. Yeah. Does what they want align with, with like our fancy design that we've like come up with and we think works mm-hmm. or is it going to fail because we're not thinking about the end user properly. And I'm glad he made us like reevaluate it. Cause we kind of kept stepping back and we did some tweaks and, and I think we had a good end product, but that kind of goes back to the core of what you're saying, like, like go for the, the people you're trying to affect or the change that you're trying to make happen. And then you can, you can figure out the way to get there. Yeah. I mean, like you, some, you need a point B. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think some of my favorite moments in the built environment are when things end up getting used, like absolutely not how they were designed to be. <laughs> right, yeah. Like I think of how many times I walked, like when I was working in New York city many years ago, I would walk past a park and like there would be a pretty gate and like this nice stone walkway there was like no one was on it and then there was always like a little path right. where there was like a break in the fence that was accidental <laughs> on a hedge where like new yorkers they're trying to get into some place faster and it yeah. had like a straight diagonal to the other street and they were just like treading through and you know over mm-hmm. time it kind of 
creates its own sort of path. So you're coming down the way and like you can see the big fancy gate, but you can clearly see like there's this other way to go right here and like that's where everybody's going. Yeah. And it's like times like that where you realize like you just can't control human behavior. Yeah. And like people are gonna morph and turn the thing into what works for them. Right. And they can change at any moment. Yeah. yeah the, I, I um I, I another example, the University of Maryland, I'm sure a lot of schools did this, the mm-hmm. example I'm gonna give, but um, University of Maryland, when I went there to tour, they had this great long quad and all these like really interweaving paths. And, and it was like very chaotic. And I was like, this is insane. Like, how do they know that people were going to take all these paths? And what they said was they actually didn't have a clue. They just paved the outside and let everybody walk first. And then like where the path was like most trodden down and like where people had walked, then they paved it. So like they waited and like let the people dictate the space and then they created all the hard services after that. And it's for the most part stayed that way like for years since. Yeah. And I'm sure as, as things evolve, it'll change again. But the fact that they even thought about that was like, oh, it's so obvious. Like it sounds so simple, but you, sometimes you have to step back and just be like, I want to, I want to let the user yeah. dictate what this is. Yeah. The best time to do that is if you're in any kind of like, stark pristine you know type a architectural space Mm -hmm. usually it's like a fancy office building (laughs) or a museum lobby or a fancy hotel and then like toddlers yeah (laughs) they're gonna do something because they're gonna do like they're supposed to just sit there or stand there not touch anything whatever they do is like (laughs) exactly what should have been designed in the first place like they're gonna hop on your little stone accent pieces and mm-hmm. they're going to try to jump off things and if there's a water feature they're going to try to bathe in it <laughs> yeah. or drink it like, right this is like what they do and it's interesting like whenever you're forced to realize like this is how people are <laughs> they're going to use used- it for real yeah. yeah yeah or there's going to be somebody like taking a bath in it like <laughs> all the things that all the signs say not to do like yeah. everything yeah yeah that's cool I-, I think um so that like it seems like you're you're on the fringe of being like as true to yourself as you can be you're, you're like you but as long as you keep that goal that kind of keeps you on the the straight and narrow yeah, yeah. i like to think that <laughs> <laughs> so like what are what are some of the the sort of end game things you're looking at right now because i know that's a, also yeah. a moving target um i think for me i i'd really like to see i think truly equitable and integrated neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's so many things in this country that have caused different demarcations and segregations of all sorts of things, class, ethnicity, right. age, um, people just isolate. And most of the communities, when you look around, they're not functioning very well and they're not wonderful. And right. I feel like as a designer and as a person that cares about people in cities, if if I can't change at least one, <laughs> then what was I doing? Like, mm-hmm. is it worth it? I mean, I'm paying all these loans, so <laughs> I hope it's worth it. Right. Uh, yeah, I think the, the example that jumps out at first is um, communities, the communities that I see that sometimes are are seen, um, in some ways they're, they're seen as cultish, but I think they have benefits. Um, but like Arco Santi is one in Arizona, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it, it's basically, um, uh, it, it markets itself as a commune, and commune is a word that most people don't like to hear in the U.S. But uh, idealistically, it's kind of a nice image where 
you have all these different people, all these different backgrounds, and there's no restrictions to like who has to live there, but everyone participates equally. So like, let's say there's 30 families that are there. Each family does dinner for everybody one night a month and that's it. So like there's this, this very good sharing thing that happens. Like it's very much communal. People share work. People live in an environment where they have to sort of interact and cross and weave paths. And it only got built out to like so many houses and it never got finished. There was like they had a concert there years ago. There was a fire. And so people freaked out. It was like, it's not safe. But it was like completely unrelated. Anyway, it's unfortunate when you hear about things like that and then it falls apart or people have like negative commutations with the commune. Another one I can think of is... Um, is more popular lately, uh, and I think it's an Asian sort of in Asian countries, East Asian mm -hmm. countries. It's, it seems to be more popular. Is um, housing? I, I'm forgetting the word for this type of housing, but where it's like you have um, older people that are retired who like need like a small low income job, and they'll live in a housing environment and work at the daycare. Um, yeah. for like a low rate and then parents can have kids in the daycare for like less expensive cost than than a typical daycare and these people that like kind of don't have a lot to do now have something to do that are older and then the younger people are now in, in, interacting with these older people who have these experiences that they benefit from and it kind of forces that interaction and those environments have been really successful mm -hmm. and people have are like so far have been raving about them i'm not sure you know time will tell obviously but i think like you said, that's just an age example, but think about like all the other ways we can do that where we create communities where all these people with diverse backgrounds are actually interacting on a regular basis because their interests are crossing. Mm -hmm. So like if if we try to think about where those places are, where like the overlap is between those different types of interests, like how do we create that intersection? I think that's absolutely the key. Like what are the areas of overlap? Because one, everyone's not going to always get along. And there's some people that probably should not get along like right. either the history like they just they have a storied history yeah and like they probably should not be forced to completely you know integrate but i think if you find the moments of overlap because there's like different levels of overlap there's like that very deep overlap where like you kind of explained with these daycares and these older people mm -hmm. like that's a symbiotic relationship like right. they have to be together but then there's just like you could be parallel to somebody like if it's a marketplace and everybody's coming to the marketplace and mm -hmm. you're only doing a business transaction and you're not necessarily forced to like truly deep jump deep into somebody's culture right um you know i think of just philly and like how deep the muslim community here is in philly it's like yeah. very much part of philly like you can't go anywhere in philly anybody that's lived here for longer than a year you kind of start to like inherently understand aspects of muslim culture that especially like i'm not muslim mm -hmm. like didn't even dawn on me prior to moving to philly right um but like now i know like very clearly like when it's prayer time because i've had coworkers that like literally stepped away from their desk and they went they would go mm -hmm. um to pray and so you know i very understand like east and west even when i'm like in a building like i've always known where east and west is because that's right like, now the, you understand the orientation yeah. yeah and so it's like little things like that that kind of like take over like the culture of a place that's like greater than the, the just the folks that are using it mm -hmm. yeah so i i wonder um in your personal life so like outside of your architecture world because we've really focused on that yeah. and, and and i say architecture but obviously it's, it's broader than that but um what are you doing on a regular basis to kind of put yourself your real self out there as often as possible well i try to just really engage people like i really like to talk to people something 
Uh, my mother once told me when I was little, she said I would collect eccentrics. <laughs> and she was like, one thing she always knew about me was that I was really going to stop and talk to almost anybody. I really <laughs> will engage almost anybody right. um, because I'm just always fascinated by people's stories and like where people came from, what people do, mm-hmm. what, what's driving them. And I think just understanding that and appreciating them in that moment for that one thing is crucial. I think so many times as people, we let so many outside things dictate how we interact with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's just like, there's no one person that's just awful on earth. And I know that's really sometimes hard even for me to believe. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, no, but at some point they had some thought that was just, they were following something that was pure thought in or their mind. Or there's like a thing they've done that's not terrible. Like, for example... I'll use our president. Not a huge fan of him, right? <laughs> but like when you look, like most of the things that he does, I don't agree with. I didn't agree with him before he was a president. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was, you know, he didn't seem to me like a person that I would necessarily wanted to hang out with. Right. Um, but then you look and you're like, but he, there's people he's pardoned from prison. Um, there's other moments he's had where he's done like at least one thing that you're like, oh, that was actually really nice. But I think in that particular instance, like you can't, like nobody wants to be caught out there saying like, oh, he did something good right. if they're not supporting him because it looks like you're a traitor or like you're- Yeah, you're, like, you, like you're, you almost have to be 100% in with whatever group crazy. that you're yeah, putting yourself whatever group. in. You're just, no matter how insane it is, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that gets really difficult um, because- there's always one thing that you can find about a person that you're like, well, what they did there was actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't agree with its results or what it did. So you got to play with people's sensitivities, though. That's the thing. That's the hard part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the other thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was like, let's go back a little bit more for a minute. When you were entering college, did you feel like that you were the same person? I mean, I know, I know you weren't the same person because people change, but like, how did you feel about yourself then in terms of like feeling confident in who you were? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I mean, fundamentally, I like to think I've been a similar person my whole life. I actually test this, ask my friends this a lot. Many <laughs> of them are like, no, you haven't really changed that much. Um, I think actually college pushed me in the other direction. I feel like I was most not myself oh, okay, yeah. in college. Um, I felt like it was something about being in an environment where I was kind of really trying to learn as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's obviously the isolating factor of our particular choice of study. Right. Um, I think Syracuse was a really hard environment for me when I first got there. I had grown up in, you know, a pretty diverse, I went to pretty diverse schools Mm -hmm. um, in Chicago growing up. I think we had... A reasonably diverse group of people around us. Like, I think I knew people from different classes. We definitely had friends from all sorts of different race and ethnicities. And then I started school day one, and I was the only black female in, like, multiple classes. And to me, I was like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we all think we know the idea of tokenism. And, of course, I learned about it, and, you know... Even having been around other African Americans in my life, I definitely had a moment where I was like, "Oh, we're all to- we're all tokens, right?" Was the idea like this right. group of us were the token, and then like finally being in an environment where I was like, "Wait, it's really just me." Yeah. Um, and I think that's hard because I think there's things that you don't even realize that you've kind of just withheld about yourself. Not even because you're scared, or just because you're like, "Oh, no one else is gonna get it." Mm-hmm. 
So you like, just why even bring it up? You can relate like, to why bring that? it up? Like, right. they're not gonna get it. They're not gonna understand. It's mm-hmm. just gonna frustrate me. It's gonna frustrate them. It might affect our friendships. I mean, people I was like really close to in school. You're just like, I'm just not gonna talk about it. Like, and then start to realize the things that you just like little things that you change about yourself, mm. like phrases that you might not say. You know around a certain people or music like you know i would always only listen to very like not that i didn't listen to the music but like i would kind of like curate any media like music or television shows i was watching when i was in studio yeah just because i was like i don't want questions i don't want to talk to i don't want to talk about it and to me there was a point like towards you know after five years of that where you're like what do i like like do i even know what i like anymore do i Mm-hmm. Am I being myself? And like, why not? Like, do they care? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, did, did you ever, uh, have you seen Sorry to Bother You? Um, if you haven't seen that, you should, it's so, so people listening, check it out. It's really yeah. awesome. Kind of goes on, on a crazy tangent, <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. But I think with that, that was one of those movies where I watched it and I was like, holy shit. Like, it's, it's yeah. such a strong feeling. And you're just like, I, no matter how many times, like I thought I knew, you're just like wow. It's way stronger, like of a feeling when you when you see it from someone's perspective. And I was just like, holy shit! Like that's that's really uncomfortable. Like that that whole world and like feeling the need to like pretend to do those little things and like to get a leg up. Like that shouldn't have to be the case. Or not even just sometimes it's not even to get a leg up. It's just to not cause a ripple. To not like, be the person that's like, like the outsider. I just don't want to cause a ripple. I just right. want to just, I just want to be right now. Yeah. I don't want to have to explain myself. I don't want to have to educate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to laugh. Like, I just wanted to just, just be. And I think that's really hard. Yes. I, I, that's, this is interesting. Cause I'm like, it's a different perspective that I, that I haven't really had yet where someone's been like on that side of, of, uh, of like this environment. I mean, it, I try to think of examples and they all fail in my brain, but like just any scenario where I've been the person that's like the odd person out. But even I've even made a joke that like every country that I've visited so far, I have I have aspirations to go to places where maybe this won't be the case, but every place I've visited so far, I've been asked for directions, which is a weird thing. But but what the point hmm. is that they thought that I was a local, like people thought for a moment, someone thought I was a local enough to ask me for directions. And I've been to North Africa, I've been to Morocco. So like, I mean, I, I and I can have dark like, skin yeah, occasionally, yeah. like I'm Italian. I, I get it a little bit, you know, yeah. if I'm not wearing English, like, like wet letters on my body, I can understand it a little bit in that part of Africa. I haven't been to like places where it's like black Africans are there all the time and I would stand out like a sore thumb, I'm sure. And I haven't been to like, you Asia. know, China or Japan where I would be a foot taller yeah. than everybody. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to like explore those environments and see what it actually feels like to be like the outsider versus the person that's just like, Everybody else, you have this one group of people and then you feel like you're not a part of that group. And so, yeah, what what do you feel like you need to do to then be a part of that group? Um, or if you're not being a part of that group, yeah, like are you, you're, you're still like mediating. Like you, you were still yeah, being you. You still have your yeah. group, obviously. Um, and, and I'm, you know. Yeah, you're still like mediating all the time. It's kind of that's like an awkward balance. And I wouldn't say you're not you. Like if there's 100 percent you, you're like. I don't know, 80% you or 75% you filter. Right. So it's not like you're inauthentic necessarily, yeah. but you're not being 100% yourself. And it always makes you step back because then you think, and you're like, years later, right? Like, we are, who, this year I'm 50, 
15 years out of Syracuse, right? Yeah. So, I mean, 10 years out of Syracuse. So I started 15 years ago. Yeah. So I think, like, these people that I've been friends with for 15 years, and, like, so many of them, I'm like, they haven't, there's just aspects of me they've just never seen. Mm-hmm. You're like, are, we, are you friends at that point? Mm, yeah. That's a good question. Do they like, know you? Yeah. Do they, do they know you? You're like, <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe I just need to start slipping these other things yeah. in. It's <laughs> just, like, go hang out with them and just start saying things from, like... Yeah. Other parts of your life and just like bringing that back. It's interesting because I think like the folks that I'm still really close to, they are the people that for whatever reason, something happened during school Mm -hmm. where like a barrier came down and they were allowed to see some piece of me that I usually either wouldn't have like played down a little bit or Mm -hmm. compartmentalized. And looking back, I'm like, those are the people I'm still actually really close to. Right. And it's like, maybe it's because we actually know each other, right? Yeah. Not that I have any issue with the other. I think, you know, most of my classmates are wonderful, and I see them, and I enjoy seeing them. It's fun, but they're like... No, I I get that. I I mean, even just like, uh, obviously, I wasn't like in that that sort of... um... The racial sort of separation that you're but describing, but there's other separations, yeah. yeah. And, and I've definitely had that with certain people where I just still felt like I wasn't being myself. And then, well, yeah, you like don't want to be that too wall weird, comes down though with some people. You don't want to be too yeah, smart. Like, you don't oh, want to be too, yeah. You know, if you're like I was from the Midwest, you don't want to be too Midwestern. <laughs> you know, there's just so many things yeah, that you yeah. like kind of censor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that you don't realize like, you're censoring. So my my hope, and I, I guess. This is the thing that I always like fight with and different guests have different approaches to this, but like my, my like aspiration is to feel like as much myself as possible. But then some people are like, well, but maybe that's like too extreme. Maybe, maybe you don't want to do that. Like I, I so far like feel like hundred percent pure essence of Dan. Right. Like I, I feel like <laughs> at my current job, my current relationship with my wife and my family and my friends, like I feel like it's the same it's the same person in all those places now and it wasn't always there was obviously mm-hmm. like ups and downs there was moments even with like my in-laws my wife's uh, mm-hmm. like family where there are certain people that it just feels like there's a show that was being put on sometimes and I feel like most of that's pretty much come down at this point there's probably still some sort of more distant family members that I don't feel like I'm communicating to um and I'm, I'm trying every day to like yeah. get past that but it's it's really tricky to be yourself all the time in all these environments at some point you're putting up some something you're putting up some barrier wall just a little bit or you're as you said you you use the word filter or a screen yeah Yeah. like like you got to control it a little bit it's like let's pull this back just for a minute yeah assess the situation and then maybe i'll i'll go like a hundred percent me and sometimes it's for your own protection right Right. because you don't know you don't know what how like you know sometimes you know and you're like i know like a hundred percent of me needs to not Engage right. with 100% of them. That, yeah, like this particular person <laughs> yeah. is not going to be receptive to no. 100% right. me. Yeah. And so you kind of dumb it down just, you know, for niceties, for civility. Yeah. Civility. That's actually where we all, <laughs> that's where we all go wrong. It's because we're trying to be civil. Yeah. Yeah. I try to say screw <laughs> that and just, like, I don't care as much anymore about that. I think like, that's one of the things that's like of the people I gravitate to both real life, but also like celebrities, right. Mm-hmm. Are the people that I think are like just a hundred percent themselves. Right. Like they are the same. And I think yep. a lot of those people just rub the public the wrong way. Cause oh, yeah. like people, when people are a hundred percent being themselves, people don't like them. Yeah. Cause, cause that inherently <laughs> they're going to do something that's abrasive or like against whatever. Or just weird to per- people, yeah, you know, like, like and they're not going to care. And I think it's not the fact that they're doing something weird. 
because there's that disjarment for mm-hmm. most people. It's the fact that they're doing something weird, and they either don't notice that it's weird, or they don't care that it's weird, right. and they leave everyone else to kind of like... You can deal with it if deal you want, with but it. this is me. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I think sometimes it's hard because there's a thin line between that and inauthenticity. Right, right. Because there's, there's times funny people where you're pretending like, like are you doing that for way. real? Are you really weird? Because mm-hmm. there's some people on this earth that like they're really weird, and it's great. Yeah. And then there's people where you're like, are you just being weird because you think it's gonna get you attention? Right. And I think there's like a really there's like really I mean that's literally like the sort of the podcast vein is to go against that. That's like I'm I'm. Putting them all in one category as hipsters, but it's it's that kind of person that's just trying to be. It's a definitely like a hipster. This this yeah. person that's like stands out or has some sort of difference about them, even though they're right. relatively like generic vanilla kind of person. Basic. Yeah, yeah, and just like they're like trying to make themselves more exciting. Yeah. When if they just spice the yeah, of if they the just world. went the other way and just tried to accept who they are in their own interests, yeah. eventually a real personality I feel like would come out of that, right? You'd hope so. Yeah, like there's something there. If you have some interests, yeah. it's a, it's the people I get scared of almost are the people that like they have no other interests. They got like nothing going on. It's just like that's like whatever vanilla, everybody flat else line, is into. Following yeah. the crowd, and I'm like, do you have any stance on anything? Any viewpoints? I mean, this was I'm gonna bash a whole state of California here for a second. Um, <laughs> it's just a giant state. Uh, okay, it won't exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna go into the ocean. Um, but when I was in California, like, um, I lived there for a little while, a year and a half, roughly. And, and when I was there, my wife and I would always be, like, kind of comparing East Coast and West Coast. Like, I grew up in Philly, mostly Philly area, South Jersey. It's It can be very abrasive here. Like, yes. people can be really, really abrasive. And if you're Correct. not aware of that or you can't handle <laughs> it, it can be really jarring. Don't go to a Sixers game. Yeah, and, like, to the point, to the point where, like... Uh, a lot of comedians will go through Philadelphia, New York, like really hard abrasive places just so they can like Cut get thick skin and yeah. like, yeah, exactly. And when I went to California, um, everyone was like super nice. And this at first is sounding like a nice description of California. Oh, everyone's very nice. But what I, what I got, at least in the people I met, there were some nice people. I, I don't want to like hate on my friends in California, but they just, they had like less passion. It was just like, they were so neutral and so nice and accepting hmm. that there wasn't like the passion there. And while I, I don't necessarily like people being mean and, and hateful, I did like passion. I, I like a little bit of intensity, even if it like rubs someone the wrong way, because it shows me that you have like a real thing that you really like. Yeah. And that was like the difficulty there. And I realized when I came back here that that's what I liked about it. Like there's there's fire, there's anger, there's frustration, but like at the core somewhere there's passion. There's something that the, these people actually care about and they're willing to like die, <laughs> to die defending that thing no matter how ridiculous Going it may down be. down swinging. Yeah, so, and I, but there's something about that that I really like and maybe it's just because I came from here. I don't know, but, it but it's be. something I appreciate. So yeah, I can. Yeah, but sometimes I look at Californians and you're like, all of you, Cannot be this chill. Right. There's you're, like, there's got to be something broke, in the back. There's, there's, there's so much traffic. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. And occasionally I would meet one over there that you I was like, they were. You can't be on the were, 405 for yes. two hours and just be like, oh, this is this is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's and I, I would meet somebody and they'd be like, <laughs> they would say something and, I, and then I'd be like, oh wait, you are a real person. Like you have yeah. frustrations, you have other things you're interested in. But they also just might 
kind of now live in a society where to voice those is like anti-cal you know now they're right like, like the vibe it's, a, it's killing, against the don't vibe. kill the vibes yeah. they're killing the vibes <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah so i'm sorry california but um I mean, overall, I like you. That but, would be a uh, really funny skit, though. Drop all the New Yorkers in the middle of, like, Coachella or, like, Burning yeah. Man. Well, it's funny because, like... Saturday Night Live. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those things where I heard a lot of people say, like, you can go to California, like, from the East Coast. You can pretty much, like, you can be from anywhere and go to California, and you'll probably be okay. Even as harsh as, like, the Hollywood mm-hmm. vibe is and that whole path... Like California as a whole will still accept you, even if Hollywood rejects you. Like there's the rest of California is so accepting and correct. Like, yeah, right? that's their that's their mo. Right. So the opposite can't happen. Like a Californian, like if you born and raised in California, you you will have a very hard time surviving in New York. Like that's the the opposite path. Like doesn't work as well. You're just too chill. Like like you just and I've I've listened to going back to the comedy thing because that's kind of one of my things that I obsess over like I've seen comedians that have done LA scene for years and years and they're really good they might even have albums out but then they they like rarely come to Philly because they just they get destroyed when they go up because they're just they're just not as sharp they're not like yeah there's people jumping in and and like they'll they'll like get at them get on their nerves or something I don't know what it is it's just like it doesn't work that way also unrelenting like if you're not performing at your highest right they're just they, always they're like going to be like boo. They're gonna they boo find you. that little weak spot. Yeah, yeah. they're gonna boo you. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's a and weird place like to like <laughs> to like. But I, I coming from like this creative world with arc between architecture and theater, where like I like that feedback. I like that environment because it it forces me to come up with more interesting, like compelling things, and like forces me to try and find a way to either deal with those people or like work around them. Or if I'm really gonna say f you and just move on. Like, I got to have a good reason for it, yeah. you know, where I, as I feel like I'm, I just rather than when I was in California, I felt like I was just kind of like a leaf in the wind, just going with it, which can be nice sometimes. But I felt like I wasn't like standing for anything I believed in. Yeah. So anyway, let's let's get back to you. We're going to probably go. We have two things I want to talk about. OK. Um, one more is is and I think I know where you're going to go with this, but uh, the charity moment. So this is uh, donations. Donation directions. Directions on where and how to donate your donations. So uh, a charity that I would really like to kind of call out is Habitat for Humanity Philadelphia. It's where I work. Um, (laughs) You can find us on Amazon Smile. You can also go to www.habitatphiladelphia.org and there's a Donate There button. Um, But one of the great things about Habitat, which I think most people know but don't really fully 100% realize, is like it's about more than the money. It's also about time. It's about your your gift. Um, You can volunteer and if you like to draw, you can come and draw something and they'll find opportunities where, you know, we need help doing a thing and, you know, you have a very particular skill set that we could kind of call on. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's like a million ways to give back, which is really interesting and actually makes like work really fun because you get people that are in the office helping out just because they like really want to like they really love to they believe in the mission they believe in the residents they believe in affordable housing um and so it's just kind of like it's a fun environment some most days yeah Yeah. awesome um oh yeah uh, we'll definitely include the the link there as well so you can find it 
And that's the Philadelphia one. There's obviously, if you're not in the area, there's a lot of them all over the place. And I think I, I want to just end on one one sort of point. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but um, this is a little bit more specific. What advice uh, would you have to the listeners about how they can live a life as their most authentic self? I think it's to, one, spend time with yourself. Like, understand who you are, what do you like, what do you, what don't you like. I think there's so many times in our life that you kind of absorb from what's around you. Um, I think back to when I was like a kid, right? I used to have these epic battles with my mom. We'd just be like not agreeing on something. And I remember one day I was probably like six or seven. And I told her like, we don't have to like the same things. We can do things differently. It's okay. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's that moment. I think so many people are so afraid of offending or so afraid of disappointing the people in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you are who you are, the right people will find you. Now, unfortunately, it might not always be the family that you think you're supposed to have, right? It might not be your blood family. It might not be the people who raised you, um, but you'll find your tribe. Uh, There's people out there, clearly, because we see like on all the extremes, (laughs) (laughs) you can find somebody that's really almost... Yeah, especially nowadays where like you can link up with people so easily. There's no excuse these days. Like the internet totally makes this like a one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's that. I think it's like letting go of the fear. I think so many people are afraid to like just commit to the thing that they're really interested in, whether it's with their career or like the friends or the person they're dating in their life or what they're interested in. I think it's so hard and I get it because society pressures are really hard, Mm -hmm. but I think the closer you get to finding the things that you actually care about, um, just the better your quality of life will be. Generally that's where you see people start to be the most successful. Yeah, awesome. Good words of wisdom, thank you. Generally, yeah, just want to thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> um, always, always good catching up. We'll have links to, to Taya's stuff that she's working on. Her, uh, I'm sure she has pages for Habitat, and, and as well as just like we'll probably include the link to the grant and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Philanoma, any other organizations, you can send me links and I'll, I'll post them. So on that note, thank you again to everyone who's listening. If you go to twohippodcast.com slash subscribe, it has all the places you can listen and places you can follow. And you can also, um, if you have any ideas for guests, for questions, uh, for any topics of discussion, um, or just general notes about the show, uh, you can go to twohippodcast.com slash contact and send a message. And I think that's everything. Thank you again. This has been the Two Hip Podcast. Mm-hmm.